First Timothy chapter six and verse 17, as I talk to you about enjoying life, warn the rich people of this world not to be proud or to trust in wealth that is easily lost. Now last week we looked at that God's desire is to bless and to prosper us. Look at me, that's throughout the Bible. We looked at all those instances where God says he wants to bless, he wants to prosper. He wants to, as the scripture says, the blessing of the Lord maketh rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. He gives you the power to gain wealth. But God says to us, he says, now warn the people not to be proud or to trust in this wealth that is what? What? That's easily lost. But instead, he says, tell them, have faith in God. How many people have faith in God this morning? Raise your hand. Have faith in God who is what? Rich and what? Blesses us with everything we need to what? Enjoy life. Let's read that last sentence together and emphasize those three words. Rich, blesses, and enjoy. Tell them to have faith in God who is rich and blesses us with everything we need to enjoy life. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. If I had to sum up the entire message of Jesus Christ, if I had to sum up everything he taught and everything he said about this new life we enjoy, I would sum it up with these two words, good news. Say that with me, good news. And there is nothing I like better than getting a phone call when somebody calls me up and says, guess what, I've got good news. How many of you like to get those kind of phone calls? I've got good news for you. And there's nothing that makes my stomach tighten up more than when somebody calls and they go, I've got good news and I've got bad news. And they always ask me, what? You know, we're all know. Which one do you want to hear for? And I always say, give me the bad first because I'm hoping the good news is going to outweigh the bad. And typically it doesn't. But if I summed up the, the message of Jesus, it's all good. You remember when the teenagers used to say that all the time? It's all good. Once in a while, I run into a young adult who used to be a teenager, and I'll say, how's it going? And they'll go, it's all good. I mean, they haven't let that go. But that's the message of Jesus. It's good news. When he started his preaching ministry, it was all about good news. And I love good news. I love what good news brings. Chuck Swindoll says that we need to laugh out loud because it flushes out our nervous system. Every once in a while, people around here will tell me they're on a certain kind of diet. And I say, why are you on that diet? They say, well, I'm trying to flush out the toxins from my body. I'm trying to eliminate the toxins from my body. Laughter does the soul good like a medicine. Isn't that what the Bible says? And a merry heart is good like a medicine. Look at what he also said. Laughter is the most beautiful and beneficial therapy that God ever granted humanity. Jay Leno said, you can't stay mad at somebody who makes you laugh. How many of you have had that kind of teenager before? We got one, you know? He would just sometimes give us, and then he would do something just to make us laugh, and it's just difficult to hold a straight face and to let him know he's still going to get what's coming when they make you laugh. There's also one other statement that made me really ponder and think I want you to look at this morning. We cannot really love anybody with whom we never laugh. You just can't love them. There's really no love there unless there's some sense of laughter. And when I first read that, I thought, well, that's kind of dumb. There are a lot of people that I love that probably I don't laugh with. And then the more I got to thinking about it, when you laugh, you're just really opening up your heart and you're opening up your life. And it's not that you live seriously all the time, but you learn to laugh at yourself and you learn to laugh at one another. Those of you that have been through Discovering Woodland with me, one of the things that I tell you, I say, you know, this is not in your outline, but you will never be happy at Woodland because one of our strengths at Woodland is we don't take ourselves too seriously. The pastors don't take themselves too seriously. The board doesn't take themselves too seriously. You know, we all understand that if you take yourself too seriously, you're kind of putting yourself at the center of the world. And when Jesus is at the center of the world, you don't have to take yourself seriously. You just follow him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And somehow or another, God makes everything work out. And if you agree with that, say amen this morning. I mean, somehow or another, he makes everything work for the good of those who love him. So you'll never be happy. 
I will never forget the phone call I got when somebody was listening to the messages online at Woodland, and they were saying, you know, your church laughs a lot. And I said, well, first of all, it's not my church. It's Jesus' church. And when Jesus has forgiven your sins and he fills your life, you just can't help but laugh. But I promise you, if it was my church, it would be in trouble, and it would be a mess, and nobody would be laughing. And you know, if it's your life, if it's your family, if it's your money, if you have never embraced the plan of God that it all belongs to God, your marriage, your family, your children, your health, that it all belongs to God, if you've not embraced that, you will find yourself always obsessed with worries, but when you embrace God's plan, you know that God is in control, and you can laugh laugh at the devil, spit him in the eye, swing across hell, or what? A rotten corn stalk and say, Come on, victory, because God is with you, and God will always work in all things for your good. God's not a miserly God. Think about this. If God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins and your sins at Calvary, if God sent his only son to die for us, Why in the world would God become miserly with everything else we need to enjoy life? If God has breathed his Holy Spirit into us, his life-giving spirit, then why would God ever become miserly with us? It's not that God doesn't love me when he doesn't give me everything I ask for. He's a wise father. He sees what I don't see. He understands what I don't understand. He comprehends the things that you and I will never be able to comprehend, and he always gives to us out of his wisdom and favor. But I will tell you this this morning without a shadow of a doubt, and if you agree with what I'm about to say, I want you to say amen after I say it. He's given me far more than I've ever deserved in my whole life. He's given me far more because God is not a miserly God. The Bible says that the Lord God took a handful of soil, made a man, and God breathed life into the man, and the man started breathing. Humanity is the apex of everything that God had done. And I don't know why I had missed this, but recently in my devotions as I was pondering these passages from Genesis, I think it's because I've always been caught up with each day of creation, what God was doing with each day of creation. God created the heavens and earth. God created light and darkness. God created the trees and the plants and the animals. And I just got kind of caught up in that creative order. But something occurred to me that I think is just an absolutely great leadership principle. The Bible says at the end of each creative day, God stopped and looked at what he said, and he said, it's all good. It's all good. God stopped and enjoyed life. And my question to you is, do you every day make a point to come to a hard stop and enjoy life? Do you make a a point to celebrate all of life's victories and all of life's blessings? Because if you're not careful, you can go from project to project to project to crisis to crisis to crisis, from this day at the job to that day at the job to this day of paying the bills to this day of raising the children to all of the things that happen in life and you never stop to celebrate and we come to the summer and we go, oh, I just can't wait for the vacation. I'm so tired. And then we go try to cram everything that we've missed during the whole year into two weeks and we come home from vacation and we say, I need to come home and rest. I've heard that so many times. But there is a wisdom in observing what God did that God stopped every single day to rest and enjoy. And you say, Pastor, I can't stop and rest. I can't stop and celebrate. I've got problems Well, welcome to the world. We've all got problems. But our life is not defined by our problems. You may have cancer like a number of people in our church are battling with right now. But cancer doesn't define your life. Jesus defines your life. You may have financial problems, but don't let financial problems define your life. Let Jesus define your life. You may have marriage problems, but marriage problems shouldn't define your life. You may have problems with your children, but that doesn't define your life. As long as you're alive, you're going to have problems, but you have something else because you were created in the image of God you have potential. Say that word with me. Potential. You have gifts. You have talents. You have a calling. You have a purpose to live for in life. You have opportunities, and God has given every single one of those to you. There was a survey done in the United States not long ago, and people were asked, what are the three things that give you the most hope in life? 
And I was astonished at the answers to these questions. The three things that give people hope in life. Number one was heaven. Number two was forgiveness. And number three was a purpose for life. Does that sound biblical to you? That's because we were created in the image of God and every single one of us have this this divine imprint upon our life. It's one of the reasons that we believe abortion is so wrong because genetically that is a human being that has a complete genetical difference from the mother that that the child is conceived in. It's a human life. It has the potential of becoming a you or a me or your daughter or your son. And it's why all life is valuable. God's thumbprint is upon Upon those lives. Well, anyway, heaven, forgiveness, and life's purpose of life's meaning. If those are the three things that Americans say that give them the most hope in life, bring them joy in life as they think about it, why is it that so many people, including so many Christians, are so miserable? I think the first problem is it's a problem of misunderstanding the problem of sin in the world. And the first thing you need to know about sin, God forgives my sin. God forgives my sin. Sin is a problem. There was a book written a few years ago, Whatever Happened to Sin? And the more people have tried to deny sin, it's like the more sin has taken over their lives. And the psychiatrist who wrote this book says, we have got to stop denying and hiding and saying that everything is okay. This psychiatrist was a medically recognized professional. As I read his book on how he talked about and confronted this problem of evil so, 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 so straightforwardly, I was astonished at, at the way he wrote. But now here's what you need to understand about sin. Sin is a power. Sin is not just the moral failures that I've done. Sin is a power that was unleashed in this world when human beings said, I want to do things my way. We talked about this for just a little bit last week. I just made a brief reference to it in our message on expanding. The moment that you begin to listen to the enemy when he causes you to question God and you give in to that part of your life that says, I want to do it my way. I want to do it my way. I love to hear Frank Sinatra sing that song, but that is not the way to live. Frank Sinatra's life, if you read the biography of his life, he was a miserable man. He was an unhappy man. He died an unhappy man. He died thinking everybody was against him. He died with his children having animosity against him. He died with some of his best friends betraying him. But by golly, Frank Sinatra did it his way. And that is not the way you want to live your life. You want to do it God's way. And when sin polluted the human race, it did more than bring pain and suffering. It somehow or another damaged our psyche to the fact that we said, I want to do things my way no matter what God says because, listen, because I'm smarter than God. Remember how the the devil appealed to Eve? He says, God knows that if you eat this fruit, you will be like him, knowing the difference. We all want to know. We all want to be smarter. It's just like the enemy of our soul when he says, I want to be greater than God. Sin does that to us. Humility brings us to a place where we recognize our limitations and we recognize our need for God and we recognize the need for life. Now comes the blood of Jesus. Now stay with me. This is so important. Now comes the blood of Jesus, the pure, holy, uncontaminated blood of Jesus Christ that has the power and the potential to cleanse us from our sins. And this is why you couldn't die for your sins or you couldn't die for my sins, nor could anybody else, whether it was Mother Teresa or Billy Graham, could die for my sins because all of us, according to the Bible, we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have. But here comes Jesus, his pure, innocent blood, no human father, God was his father. Now keep listening. Why this is so important became so real to me just a few years ago when I came back from Asia. There were numerous times while I was recovering from that long illness of three years where I had to receive blood. The first time they gave me blood, I liked to die. Something was wrong with the blood and Becky called them. I was going into to some sort of tremors and shakes and seizure and they came in and they had to pull the blood out and do emergency surgery again. They began giving me blood 
And one of the things I've learned is that blood has to be checked that is 100% pure. So if some guy goes to a blood bank who wants to donate blood, or like we do at Woodland where we have a blood drive for the Red Cross, and they come and they don't tell the truth and they give their blood, and maybe it's only one-tenth of one percent, just one-tenth of one percent, or maybe just one-hundredth of one percent of HIV in his blood, they refuse that blood when they screen it because that blood could make you sick or if they give you the wrong kind of blood. And so they screen the blood knowing that all the blood they're going to give is pure. When an Olympic athlete goes to compete and he gets his blood test, if there's a trace or if there is a hint of a performance drug in his body or her body, they are eliminated from competing in the Olympics because their blood has been contaminated. I learned from my own life experience how important it is to receive clean, pure blood. We've learned from Olympic athletes how important it is if we want to enjoy the true sport of humans competing with one another without drug enhancements, how important clean blood is. There is nothing more important in your life than the precious atoning blood of Jesus Christ that wipes out and cancels every single sin in our life. Nothing cleanses us but the blood of Jesus. So what God does is he forgives our sins in Christ and he washes them all away and then he quarantines sin and people who say, I want nothing to do with you, God. I want nothing to do because I want to do it my way. God quarantines that in hell. As a child, I can just barely remember there was a polio outbreak in our community. Our parents drove us by the house, and I remember seeing the quarantine signs upon the house. And it was that they didn't love the individual that had contracted polio, but it was contagious, and it could be somehow or another passed around. And so they quarantined to protect the community. And I'm telling you this, one of the things that's going to make heaven so great is there will be no sin in heaven. There will be no evil in heaven. There will be no greed in heaven. There will be no hate in heaven. There will be no bitterness in heaven. There will be life and health and healing and joy and love and peace. It will be something you don't want to miss. If you believe that, say amen this morning. You don't want to miss heaven. So the apostle David writes in Psalms 13, 5, he says, my heart finds joy in salvation. My heart finds joy in your salvation. How many of you remember that verse of scripture where David prayed one time, Lord, restore to me the joy of my salvation? How, now, just be honest, raise your hand. How many like me, sometimes you've had to pray, Lord, restore the joy of my salvation? You ever had to pray that? You know why? It's because our joy bucket leaks. There are problems. Remember I just said, we've all got problems. Sometimes it's cancer. Sometimes it's maybe a problem with your child. Sometimes it's a problem on the job, and we get confronted with these problems, and if we're not careful as human beings, we get obsessed on the problem rather than obsessed with God. We focus on the issue rather than focus upon the Lord. We focus upon the thing that robs us of our joy, and we get our eyes off of Jesus like Peter did when he was walking on the water, the most foolish thing he could do was to take his eyes off of Jesus. He was walking on the water. You don't get that. He was walking on the water. I remember as a teenager, I pulled myself up to a diving board. I was 19 years old. I pulled myself up to a diving board at youth camp and I made my feet touch the water and let go and phew, I went right under. Peter walked on the water, but when he took his eyes off of Jesus and he considered the problem, what was the problem? The wind and the waves. He lost his joy, he lost his focus, and he sank beneath the water, and he cried out, Lord, save me, and Jesus pulled him back on top of the water, and they walked back to the boat together. I'm telling you this morning, sometimes your joy bucket leaks because it's our nature to take our eyes off of Jesus and to look at the problem, but if we can keep our eyes on Christ, we are going to be more than overcomers. We are always going to win. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, somebody shout glory this morning. I did not particularly enjoy my job in mental health, but it was the best job I ever had to prepare me for the ministry. More important than anything else I've ever done. 
One of the things that I learned in that job, and I still remember sitting with the psychiatrist that I worked with, and he told me, he says, Dennis, we can help people cope with their problems. We can help people cope with their anger and their bitterness. But he says, you hold the message to helping people find forgiveness. Psychiatry is not about helping people find true forgiveness. He says, never forget that as a preacher of the gospel, when you help people discover the forgiveness that they can have in Jesus Christ, they won't have to cope with their problems anymore. They can be free of their problems because that's the power of the blood of Jesus to cleanse us from all of our sins and the effect in our life. It's the antidote. The second thing I want you to see is not only did Americans say that forgiveness was important, but they said heaven was important. And you have eternal life today. God gives you and me eternal life through Jesus Christ. You have eternal life, not beginning tomorrow, not beginning when you die, but you have eternal life. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 11. <clears throat> it stands to reason, doesn't it, that if the alive and present God who raised Jesus from the dead moves into your life, he'll do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to himself. Now, don't miss that. He will do the same thing in you that he did in Jesus, bringing you alive to his. God's spirit moves in your life, does the same thing in you. When Christ was raised from the dead on the third day, God raises you from your sin, raises you, forgives you your sin, and raises you to a new life. It's what it means when Pastor Rick or Pastor Corey are standing here in our baptistry, and they take someone and they say, upon the confession of your faith, that Jesus Christ has forgiven your sins and that you have claimed him as your Lord, I now baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son the Holy Spirit. They put them under the water that symbolizes they've died to their sins. And if they think they really need a little extra help, Pastor Rick will hold them under there a few seconds longer. <laughs> Some of you have needed that. And then they raise them up and they're dripping wet when they come out of the water. And the Bible says that is symbolizing the new life that Christ has brought into us. That don't miss that. The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. And when God lives and breathes in you as he does, as surely as he's in Jesus, you are delivered from that dead life with his spirit living living in you, your body will be as alive as Christ. Hallelujah. Now, friends, I got to tell you, if that doesn't light your fire, your wood is wet and rotten. His spirit lives in you. I go out in the morning. I love my little Mustang. I wash it. I vacuum it. I be sure Vito takes good care of it. But you know what? That Mustang is worthless when it's just sitting there cold in the morning. The moment I put the key in and there is ignition, suddenly everything comes to life. Suddenly I'm Steve McQueen in bullets. <laughs> and I have to remind myself there's a 25 mile per hour speed limit in our subdivision. And sometimes just for the fun of it, I get on Telegraph Road. I, don't, I hope this is not illegal. Keith, where are you at? <laughs> How quickly can I get to 50 miles per hour in the Telegraph if there's nobody in front of me, Keith? Is that legal? It is? Hot dog. <laughs> I've been thinking I've been sinning. I haven't. <laughs> what is it that ignites your life? What is it that lights your fire? As a child, I used to love to watch it when Cape Kennedy would fire off those rockets. 10, 9, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. We have ignition. We have liftoff. And all of that fire would come out of there. I've been a pastor long enough that I've seen that some people, what ignites them is money. What ignites them is popularity. 
What ignites them is success. For other people, it's fear, it's guilt. What drives them is their fear they're not going to have enough. What drives them is their guilt of trying to make up for maybe something they did in life to hurt somebody else. What drives them is anxiety. If there's anything that I have learned as a pastor, it took me a while to learn this lesson, but the needs never stop coming, honey. There's always somebody else. As soon as somebody's healed, there's somebody else that's going to be sick. As soon as there's one need met, there's going to be another need to be met. As soon as one problem is helped or solved, there's another problem to solve. As soon as one project is complete, there's another project complete. And I'm sure you have found the same thing true in your life. There is no sense in being motivated by worry. There is no sense in being motivated by success when you can be motivated by this long-term motivation that lasts for eternity because you have eternal life now. Heaven is your home. One day, this short, brief life will be over and we will stand in the promises of God and we will stand and receive our eternal words, our eternal reward. Miracles will not last. One day, this body that was healed, this body that you can put your holes in where the nails held me together. This body that has been made well. One day you will bury this body. Miracles won't last. My sermons won't last. Your work won't last. But what we do for Christ will last forever. It will last for eternity because great is he that is working in our lives. And he says, one day you're going to hear my voice. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joys of the Lord. Let's give him a hand of praise for that this morning. I want that for you. I want that for you because when I think about heaven, I don't think about money. I don't think about success. I don't think about so many of the things that drives us, but when I think about heaven, I think about Christ. I think about relationships of friends and family that have gone on. I think about the love that will be there forever and ever. And the third thing that I want you to see that Americans were obsessed with, and that is there's a purpose for life or meaningfulness for life, and that is God is working all things for my good. God is working all things for my good. This morning there was a lady in the first service that stopped me and just talked to me for just a brief minute we had before the, I had to get ready for this service. She reminded me of a very difficult time that she just come through and she says, Pastor, you kept telling me that God was working, God would work for my good. And she said, Pastor, it's more than just good. God has done something marvelous through all of this. And you've got to get that deep in your heart. God is really working in all things for your good and his glory. Look at Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. All things, not some of the things. In Barbara's cancer, yes. In Rocky's large cell leukemia, yes. In Josiah's genetic disorders and the missing and damaged DNA in his life, yes. And I don't say those things tritely. These are people that I love. These are people that I adore. These are people that are, are family and friends to me. But we stand on this promise. Barbara is encouraged. She let me know that the fact that you're praying for her and praying for Rick, it sustains her and strengthens her. She's learning things that she would never learn without going through this kind of suffering. Friends, do not allow doubt and negativity or the devil to steal your faith and Christ, God is in control. Yeah. Hallelujah. He's in control. Now, the test of a good message is not whether you enjoyed it. The test of a good message is whether you do it. Sometimes the test of a good message is that you didn't enjoy it, but you did it anyway. Have you ever had that kind of medicine before? I've had a lot of stuff I've had to take over the years. There are some things my mama used to tell me was good for me and I need to eat it. I don't eat it anymore. <laughs> it may be good for me, but if I can get it in a capsule, I'll take it in a capsule and not eat that stuff. But the test of a message is if you will do it. We've talked about embracing the plan of God. 
that 10, 10, 80 plan where God wants you to have dominion in this life. God wants you to be the overcomer. First grade, you start with the tithe. First grade, you start with paying yourself 10%. You're going to pay everybody else, pay yourself 10% and learn to live off the 80%. Getting equipped, getting in a career field that you love. Don't do something all your life that you don't enjoy, but getting equipped for something you want to do. And don't live in your mama's basement and don't lay on a sofa and let the government take care of you, but get equipped for what you want to do. We talked about expanding, taking what God has given you and expanding it and increasing it. And today we're talking about don't ever feel guilty for enjoying what God has given you. So how do you do that? Let me help you do this message. Number one, keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I worked at Piggly Wiggly. They were so kind to me when I was a college student and I'd come home, they'd give me back my job. I started out as a bag boy, I became a cashier, and then I started counting money and making deposits for them. I loved working for Piggly Wiggly. If you've never lived down south, and you don't know what a Piggly Wiggly is, you just don't know what life is all about. <laughs> twee, 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 it's Piggly Wiggly for me. I love that job. I lo they were so good to me. I love that job. I worked produce because I was the only one that really understood produce beside the produce manager, and I had so much fun. And I'd come home, and they'd give me back my job, and just a lot of good friends. But one of the things when I was a bag boy, I used to get so tickled, and I tell mom and daddy about this when I come home at night. It was always amazing to me, and if you, maybe you have a child like this, it was always amazing to me how many times a mama with her children would come up to the grocery stand, and she'd begin to check out, and all of a sudden she'd go, I, I didn't put this in the buggy. Did y'all put this in the buggy? And they'd start nodding their heads. How I many of you have had that experience before? I never saw Brussels sprouts put in the buggy. I never saw broccoli put in the buggy. We didn't need that stuff down south to begin with. I never saw that kind. I saw candy. I saw cookies. I saw cakes. I saw Coca-Colas and, you know, things like that. Things that weren't good for you were put into the buggy. And so mama would be taking stuff out of the buggy and then we'd have to go back and put it back on the shelf and kids would start crying, but I want it, I want it. And, you know, the really weak mamas would give in to them, but the really good mamas would say, no, that's not good for you, we're not going to get it. I will never forget one time I was walking down the aisle and I saw two feet sticking out of the flower aisle. You know, the flower aisle goes way back and I bent down and looked and there was a little boy just eating chocolate covered cherries as fast as he could put them in his mouth. <laughs> so I grabbed him and I said, come on with me. I said, let's find your mom and dad. Oh, tell my daddy. I said, let's get you cleaned up. And I took him to his daddy and I told him, I said, if you'll just give me the money for the chocolate covered cherries, we'll be all good. And he hollered out loud, chocolate covered cherries. And I said, if you start hollering, you're going to have to talk to the boss, and we call him Tank, and you don't want to do that. So whatever it was, we paid for the chocolate-covered cherry. You see, when sometimes if you're not careful, God says, no, you go hide in the flower aisle, but God's always going to let your feet be seen. <laughs> Listen to me. Don't think you're going to cover up your sin. <laughs> hmm? God's always going to let your feet be seen. And Jesus is ever interceding for you. And he says, Lord, I paid for their sins. If they'll just confess it and forsake it, you can be clean of that sin. You see, it's in the American culture. We know the story of the rich young ruler. This rich young man that came to Jesus and told him how good he was. And Jesus says, you, are, you know, you are a good guy. But he says, you lack one thing. Sell all you have and come and follow me. Now, Jesus wasn't saying that everybody that gets saved needs to give away everything they've got. Jesus wasn't saying that everybody needs to be poor. But Jesus saw this young man had a problem. He wasn't willing to sacrifice in order to follow Christ. And so Jesus was saying, you need to empty your buggy and let me fill it. And what happens sometimes that keeps us from enjoying, now listen to me, keeps us from enjoying enjoy life is we want to lead Jesus rather than let Jesus lead us. You see, when we let Jesus lead us, he puts in the buggy what we need. When we want Jesus to follow our lead, we put into the buggy 
what we think we need. And most of the time, it's what we want. You see, trusting Jesus means I give him every single area of my life. The Bible says that Jesus looked at that young man and the Bible says he loved him. And I want you to stop and think for just a moment. I want you to picture Jesus. I want you to, whatever you think Jesus may look like, I want you to imagine Jesus this morning. And I want you to look straight into his eyes because those are eyes of love that are saying, Dale, I love you. I love you. I love you. If you will let me lead your life, I will fill your buggy with all the goodness that heaven has. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out on you a blessing that you cannot contain. What you want to fill your life will pass away, but what I will give you will last forever. Can we give him a hand of praise for that this morning? How do we do this? Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who imitates and perfects our faith because of the joy awaiting him. He endured the cross, disregarding his shame. Look at this. The champion who initiates or ignites. Remember, the car is no good unless it's ignited. What ignites you? He perfects, he fills our buggy, he fills our life with all the goodness of our heaven. Why? Because of the joy awaiting him and the joy awaiting you. He gives you abundant life. God wants you to enjoy what he's given you. But so many times, we, we, we get to the interests of the kingdom. We get to the, remember I said, If I summed up the life of Jesus and his message, it would be these two words, good news. We get to the interest of the kingdom and we stop. How many of you have been to Disney World? How many, can let me see you, and you've been to Disney World. I love going to Disney World. There's the monorail, and you come in that park gate, and all of a sudden there are these gardens, and there are these fountains, and you're listening to the happy music, and there's Main Street, and down the distance you can see Cinderella's castle. You take the picture with the mouse, and so many people even come to Woodland, and they, they come just to the gate or just to the door, and Jesus is saying, come follow me. Come follow me. It's not enough to come just to the entrance. The entrance is wonderful in the kingdom. Getting saved is wonderful. Having your sins forgiven is wonderful. But God has a life of meaning. God has a life of purpose. And if you will keep on going through Cinderella's castle, there's Tomorrowland, there's Magic Kingdom, there's Frontierland, there's Adventure World, there's Epcot, there's more to this life than what you've discovered. Don't stay at the entrance, but follow Jesus. It's the wildest ride you'll ever make in your whole life. Hallelujah. And I got to tell you, some of you, you've been to 101, discovering Woodland. Now you need to go to discovering maturity and how to grow in Jesus and discovering ministry, what your spiritual gift is and, and, and what God has shaped you to do in life and then discovering my mission, what your life mission is. There's more to be experienced in Christ. Don't stop at the entrance. I gotta be quick. I'm almost wore out. Recently, I was at one of my regional offices called Starbucks. <laughs> Phone was crazy here. I had a project I needed to get done and completed, and so I thought, I'll go to Starbucks and finish this up so nobody can interrupt me. So I got into Starbucks, and I saw somebody I knew sitting down at the other end, and so I turned my back paid for my coffee, went to that high top table by the, ba- I never sit by the bathroom, but I went down there and, and I saw them coming and I kind of held my head down and then that silly little saying came to mind, what would Jesus do? And I felt like the worst sinner in the world. So I lifted up my head and it's one of the local outdoor guides and he saw me and he goes, Pastor! And he came over and we talked for a few minutes and we prayed and I got my computer open when he left. 
And then there's a Vietnam veteran that's got some real problems. I've been building relationships. He came in and he looks at me and goes, how the hell are you today, Pastor? I'm good. Let me pray for you. Then one of the teenagers come in. I pray with you. I shut my computer. I go to the car. And I go, is there no place I can be alone? You see, the Bible says, as pressure and stress bear down on me, I find joy in your commands. And I got to thinking about that later, beloved. Listen to me. All of us have pressure. And all of us, from time to time, we need the joy of our salvation restored. But I felt so much better from having prayed with those three individuals at Starbucks than I would have ever felt if I had done my project. The project can always get done. Sometimes we have to be like Jesus. People matter to God. Can we give him another hand of praise this morning? I'm wrapping up. Mark, come on up. I'll be real quick. Fill in the blanks real quickly here. Keep doing the right thing. Keep doing the right thing. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 10, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil, your lips from telling lies. Turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. I don't think there's any doubt in this room. I absolutely adore my wife. I love her. She's my best friend. I enjoy doing life with her. I was leaving the house at 5.30. I believe it was Thursday morning. I looked at her laying there and I said it one more time. I said, Jesus, you're going to have to really help me with this. Life, if I'm not married to Becky in heaven, that just doesn't make me really happy, Lord. I trust you, but I'm just being honest with you, okay? I leaned over and kissed her. It's like kissing a dead person. <laughs> Except she was warm. I kissed her again, and I said, I love you so much. She still didn't move. <laughs> but don't you ever doubt for a moment, we've got the perfect marriage. Sometimes we disagree. Sometimes we argue. And sometimes this peaches and cream you see over here, But I couldn't imagine, I couldn't imagine doing life without her. Because I want my life summed up in one word, love. When I die, I want my life summed up in that one word. And I wrote this in my journal later that day. I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. I love Becky like you could never dream of. I love my children. I love this congregation. I love our community. But you still have to work to maintain the goodness that God has brought into your life. Isn't that true? And so we can never forget that. The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. I am confident of that, that God watches over us. And his ears are open to their prayers. I'm confident of that. But the Lord turns his face against those who do evil. There was a Miami paper reported there was an armored car truck somehow or another had an accident spilled hundreds of thousands of dollars of cash right out into the street. There's over a half a million dollars in cash missing. This little boy named Herbert picked up 86 cents, got his mama to take him down to the armored card company and gave them the 86 cent. Most little boys would have just stuck that 86 cent in their pocket. But he took it down 
And the armored card company sent him and his entire sixth grade class to Disney World. They wanted that child and those children in his class to learn that doing right pays. And if you will do the right thing, remember, heaven, forgiveness, a meaningful life, your life will always have purpose. And one day you'll be so glad you did. Don't ever stop remembering God is for you. Keep remembering God is for me. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 31, if God is for us, who can be against us? That doesn't mean you're not going to have battles along the way, but God is for you. And you're going to overcome. You're going to win. You're going to be the victor. There may be a battle lost here and there, but the war is going to be won because God is for you. God is going to always be there with you. And for those of you that still maybe from this first week you're going, embrace, I want to embrace it, you've got to keep remembering God will meet all your needs. God will meet all your needs. Put that up. Keep remembering God will meet all my needs. God did not keep back his own son, but he gave him for us. If God did this, won't he freely give us everything else? This same God, Philippians 4, 19, who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his riches and glory which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Psalms 84, 11, the Lord will hold no good thing from those who do what is right. O Lord of heavens, what joy for those who trust in you. And Jesus said, ask using my name and you will receive and you will have abundant joy. God's a giver. God gives us joy. God gives us forgiveness. God gives us purpose. God gives us our daily bread. God gave us his son. God gives us health. God gives us healing. God gives us children. God does amazing things in our lives. Becky and I have had some painful experiences over the years. These two stories didn't happen in our community. Once I got a call from a dad, and we'd noticed how his daughter had become bitter and hurt, stopped attending youth services, and wasn't in church. There was a distance between her and her family. And she had been one of those that was just so fiery for Christ. What a strong witness. Dad came over to the house and said, I want to meet you at the house and not at the church. In a few minutes, he was collapsed on my shoulder, just bawling. Good man had got to the entrance to the kingdom, but never chose to get past the entrance. Lived very surface as a Christian. So when his daughter got pregnant, rather than trust God, he insisted that she have an abortion. And everything that mom and dad and the church has supposedly stood for, suddenly that flew out of the door in her mind. And they were hypocrites. It was a long, painful road to recovery, all because he was afraid that she would lose a scholarship to college, all because he was afraid of what a child would demand from them. Another story, these parents had not only come to the interest of the kingdom, they had gone to adventure land, frontier land, they had gone to all the places. Their daughter loved the Lord, but in allowing herself to get into a place that she shouldn't have been in, she too became pregnant. But she knew the faith of her mom and dad that they could handle whatever news that she brought to them. They called Becky and I, and we sat in their home. We walked the whole pregnancy with them. We helped find the baby a home with adoptive parents, godly parents, 
the child is growing up in the most wonderful home. God healed her, restored her. A loving mom and dad that just kept praying was there with her when she gave the baby away, and it was so hard. But today, there is one big happy family, and she and her husband have three of the most handsome young men who love God. You see, if you take this step and you give your heart to Jesus and you just stop at the entrance and you don't let Jesus fill your buggy, but you demand that Jesus fills your buggy, you will never know what this real life, you will never enjoy life. The joy comes in following. But what I told the other dad is what I will tell you. God will always love you and God will forgive you if you will simply say, God, I'm sorry. Go to your wife Go to your daughter and get on your knees. They won't forgive you until you get on your knees and say, I'm sorry. You take ownership of it because you know God loves you. If you will humble yourself before God and start there and courageously, he left the entrance and he went through the castle gates and he started his first discovery in Frontierland of what God will do with a surrendered life. And today, as an old man, he has a restored, healed, healthy, happy, holy family because God will never hold your sins against you if you will just ask him to forgive you and he will give you a brand new start in life. Can you say amen? So I want you to bow your heads with me, and I want to pray for you. Lord, some of us, we need a fresh start with you. We've never committed our lives to you. We've never asked you into our hearts, and we ask you this morning, God, look upon us and remember what Jesus did. Some of us, Lord, may be in a place in this room where, God, we've got to the entrance, but we're still trying to live with one foot in the world and make our life plans and decisions the way the world does. As a matter of fact, when we pray, if we're honest with ourselves, it's more about you filling our buggy. It's more about us leading you then it is you leading us. So we ask you to have mercy upon us. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus, or you're here and you're like this first dad I described, you've made some decisions you need to ask God to forgive you of, Maybe ask some other people to forgive you of. I want you to join this prayer as well. You say, Pastor, how do I know I'm ready? You're ready because you want to. You're ready because something in you is saying, I need to. That is so contrary to the nature of human beings. Because the nature of a human being is to say, I'll do it my way. It's what sin has done to us. But when God begins to deal with you, you want to do it His way. And that begins with that desire in you this morning to give your life to Jesus or that desire to say, Father, forgive me. That's so supernatural. It's not emotional. You may feel emotion. It's not manipulation. You're just being asked by Jesus, come and follow me. So if that's you, pray this prayer with me. Just pray it quietly. Say, Father, I give up trying to lead you. 
I want Jesus to lead me. I give you my sin and I ask you to forgive me. And I pray that you will fill me with your Holy Spirit and give me a brand new start in life. Heaven matters to me. Forgiveness is important to me. And I want to live for your purposes and your glory. So as much as I know how, I give you my life today in Jesus' name. While no one's looking around but just myself, if you prayed that prayer, would you lift up your hand and so I can be praying for you this week? God bless you, sir. God bless you. Are there others? God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you, ma'am. God bless you. Yes, ma'am, I see your hand. God bless you. Hallelujah. Every eye closed, please. Anybody else? Well, church, let's enjoy this moment and let's celebrate with the angels in heaven and let's give the Lord a hand of praise this morning. Hallelujah. 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 Those of you that prayed with me this morning, I'm going to ask you ushers if you'd come on down while I'm talking today. But on the back of this communication card, when you put it, just put it in the offering this morning, but give me your name and your email address. And right here on the back, you can check a box that says that you are committing your life to Christ today. I want you to do that. If you didn't lift your hand and you want Maybe you just need some more information. Would you check that box and just says, I want to receive more information about becoming a follower of Christ. Or maybe you saw when I illustrated baptism this morning and you want more information about being baptized. Would you check that on this box? Now, please listen. Those of you that are talking, I need you to listen so other people will hear and pay attention. Please check that box that says, I want more information about being baptized. Some of you, you need a group of people to do life with. Barbara Warren that we prayed for this morning. Rocky Donahue that we prayed for this morning. And others have all shared with me how important their small group is in doing life together. This week, one of the men in the church and I were sitting down and we were just talking together casually about how important it is a being in a small group where people know you And if you're not here, they know you're not here. If something's going on in your life, they can help you or you can help them if something's going on in their life. Would you check that? But then you'll also see, I want you to get beyond the entrance. I want you to get past the castle. I want you to go to Frontierland. I want you to go to the Magic Kingdom and check these boxes and follow through on being in these discipleship classes. Rick, we're doing 301 today, is that right? And if you want more information, that is discovering my ministry. And boy, that's a fun class. That's where you get a spiritual gifts analysis, a personality analysis called a disc test. But also, you get an opportunity to come back in for what we call a shape interview. And I'll be happy to do that with you. If you'll just say, you know, I'd like to do that with Pastor Clanton. Those are fun to do. We'll go through what's revealed to you in this about your spiritual gifts, your heart, you know, what's really in your heart to do, your abilities. We'll talk about your experiences. We'll talk about your personality. We'll go through all of those things that makes life so exciting and then help you find a place because it's time to get past just doing Sunday morning. There's more to this life than what you've discovered yet. And those of you that know that, say a big amen this morning. So just fill this card out, give me your email, and I'll be sure tomorrow, Norma and I will be sure and follow up with you. Pastor Rick may follow up with some of you. Corey may follow up with some of you. But we'll follow up with you right away, but especially if you gave your heart to Christ. I've got something we want to give you right after church, so go to the crossings desk. And let us help you get started in your new life with Jesus. Well, Father, we bring our tithes and our offerings to you because you have blessed us. You have said that there was a place of abundance that we can live in. 
And so God, we want to live in that place, just starting with first grade stuff, where we bring you the tithe. And if we'll start there, then you said you will protect us from those things that devour your blessings in our lives. And God, you have said that you would supernaturally supply for us, you would open up the windows of heaven and pour out upon us a blessing that can't be contained. God, thank you for doing that for Becky and I. Thank you, Lord, for protecting and for supplying. And so now, as we bring these gifts, we do it because we've embraced this, and it is a joy to give. If you believe that, say amen. It's a joy to give to you, for it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you as you give this morning.